0: i Good evening, thanks for coming. Um, tonight's shear has been... Um, before we begin the shir, I'd like to announce we have a very special guest here on uh, Wednesday night. Um, a a um, special guest from Yerushalayim. His name is Rebbe Elia Suk- Sukkot. Um, he's a... Um, an artist, a musician, and a very, very special Jew. I haven't met him yet. And sadly, I'm not, I mean, regretfully, I'm not going to be here on Wednesday night. But just by looking at his picture, he seems to be... Yeah, it says a lot. So, and uh, he's going to be speaking about, he's going to be playing his guitar and telling, speaking about music and inspiration. And anybody that's going to come on Wednesday night is sure to be inspired. This is this Wednesday night on Wednesday uh, um, at 8 o'clock. Um, so, um, it's, it's something special to come to. Um, I'd also like to um, sponsor tonight's class has been dedicated uh, by Mrs. Adina Sher, and this is in honor of Moshe um, Gindi, Harav Moshe ben Yaakov HaKohen, I guess it's the yard site. May um, his neshama have a very great aliyah, very, very, very high, may he channel lots of brachas. To you and to everyone, um, his family, and lots and lots of brachas, and this will be a big schus for his neshama. Thank you for that dedication. Another dedication this week was by my uncle, Rabbi Yonah Landau. This is in honor of his father, his your site, on the 25th of Cheshven, Rabbi Doiv ben Rabbi Yeshua, may his neshama have a very great, a great aliyah, and much, much brachas to you and your mishpacha. and um, being that he was such a light to... Uh, the people in, in over here in the and the community. So we should shine his special light to and brought us down to everyone for all that everyone needs. Um, this week is Parsha's Chaye And And um, it's a very exciting Parsha. Um, I'd like to focus on something very pertinent to the time that we're in as we've been connecting the classes very much to... Um, Mashiach and things that are the the current events that are happening in the world and the Torah is supposed to be our inspiration and our class in this class particularly tonight in addition to the inspiration and um, guidance perhaps in terms of the way we should understand and see the world and see what's going on hopefully the class and the study of what we're going to study tonight is going to have an influence on the, on the, um, on the actual um, of, of events that are happening and that uh, things should become very clear. Things should be clear in the world as we study them here and we get clarity in our own minds. So Torah has dominion over the world. So when we gain clarity in what the Torah says, this should influence the entire world, to see it the Torah way, which is the way of truth. So in the beginning of this week's Torah portion, it discusses Avram of Vinu purchasing a piece of land, a plot of land, the land, the cave of Machpelah in the land of Hebron. What is so special about this is this is the first piece of land that came in to Jewish possession. Um, Avram, even though God promised him the land at an earlier occasion many times, but he didn't, have, didn't take uh, full possession of it Because Hashem said to your children, I will give it to you And this whole question of how much did our forefathers Actually have ownership in the land And there's different, different opinions about it and the like But definitely, uh, it's not to the same degree Like when after Avram purchased the land So the land of Hebron, particularly The land of Machpelah, the field and the land As the passage describes was purchased by Avram at full price, at an and at, at, at a very, very, very high uh, a, um, amount that he paid for it. Um, it. Seems like from Rashi, more than the actual value of it, and um, it became Avram's. And that and from there, that began the acquisition of the land of Israel for Eretz Yisrael to become Eretz Yisrael, a Jewish land. What we see now. Is that the greatest kalipa, the greatest, a uh, force of darkness in in terms of its 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 is is putting in all of its effort in to stop the acquisition of the land of Israel to belonging to the Jewish people, the forces, the forces that stand against Hashem, against Torah, against holiness, are putting in every, are are putting in all their efforts to get in the way that Eretz Yisrael should belong to the Jewish people, because. If the land of Israel belongs to the Jewish people, and the Beis HaMikdash, the Temple Mount, belongs to the Jewish people, and eventually the Beis Hamikdash is built on that on that mountaintop, then this is the end to all darkness. It's the end to all all, all the unholy. Kate Sam puts an end to darkness. Vesruach the spirit of impurity, Avim in and V'hoi HaShem that God is king over the whole world, and the unholy doesn't want that. Everything is it's fighting for its life. And it's so clear that this is the last battle, the battle on terms of the ownership of Eretz Yisrael. Now, you see that this is going to be a difficult battle. Rashi already predicts this in the first lesson we learn in the Torah. All the way at the beginning of the Torah, Rashi says, why does the Torah have to tell us the story of Beresh? Why did the Torah is a book of instructions of mitzvahs? It's, it comes to tell us the commandments. The Torah should have began in the book of Exodus, in the book of Shemos, in the third parasha, Pasha's Bo, which there is where it talks about the first mitzvah that God gave the Jewish people as a people. Why do we have the story of creation and the consequential story of the, our forefathers, which would have been great to know, it's important for us to know, but it didn't have to be part of the Torah. So Rashi says, because um, this is the first Rashi in the Torah, is because Rashi prophesizes in the name of Rabbi Yitzchak, and he says that that there will come a day when the nations in the world, Rashi says, says, because if the nations will one day contest our ownership on the land of Israel, and they're going to say, you are thieves, you are occupiers, you're taking land that's not yours, um, we will have an answer, and we will say, God created the world, And he created, and therefore, since by virtue of creating it, he owns it, and therefore, he gave the land to whoever he chooses, with his wish and with his will. He gave it to them, and then he took it away from them and he gave it to us. So this land of Israel belongs to the Jewish people. So it's such a clear prophecy. This is the first lesson, the first thing we learn as we open up and we begin learning Chumash. The first teaching, the first thing we have to know is that, and, and it's amazing to know that we are living through. This that which has been spoken about by Rashi uh, Close to a thousand years ago And this is that which the Medrish mentions Like two thousand years ago That that is is something that we are witnessing with our eyes And so so you see there's a big challenge And this is the ultimate challenge The challenge right before the full realization of Kedusha In this world of holiness in this world Another very interesting fact is you see that when Hashem promises Avram that you're going to have children in Parshas Lech Lecha, and that to your children I will give the land, it says that even though Avram was to, was was already an old man and he couldn't have any children, he was physically past the age that he could have a child. Sarah, his wife, was also very old. Not only that, but she even when she was young, she literally could not have a child. It was impossible. She was a barren woman. The sages explain the degree of how, how far from, for her was it, how far-fetched it was for her to have a child. The, the sages say she didn't possess a womb. She, just, it didn't, she, she couldn't have a child. It was impossible. Yet, when God tells Avram Avinu you know, that he's going to be blessed with children, even though it's impossible on so many levels, it says, that Avram believes in God. And God sees it as a righteousness on Avram's part. And God rewards him for that, that he trusted in him. And he didn't ask for a sign. But when God, Hashem, tells Avram Avinu, that to your children I will give this land, that Avram asks a question. Give me a sign. B'mo'eda, how will I know? And you gotta wonder. I mean, he believes in Hashem. He sees all the miracles. He's already passed so many tests. He lives with Mesiras Nefesh. He's just an awesome, unbelievable. And yet... He doesn't seem to accept this so easily. When Hashem tells him, when Hashem tells Avram Avinu, I'm going to give you the land, Avram challenges God. And he says, Bama Eda, how will I know? So you see clearly that Avram saw, with his holy vision, in a prophetic vision, Avram saw the challenge that we are going to face as the Jewish people at the end of days, in laying claim to the land. And how difficult is going to be, whether it's going to be the opposition from the from the Arab countries, where the opposition is going to come from the UN, whether the opposition is going to come from the European Union, when the opposition is going to come from the from, 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 the, from the White House or from the State Department. I mean the opposition from all sides. And Avram sees this clearly. And therefore he asks God, he can't he he says, I need a sign. So um, but here we have that's in regards to Eretz in general, but here we have something very special that the Medrash tells us. This is not a Medrash in this Parsha; it's a Medrash in Parsha's Vayishlach, which over here again you see something so stunning—the way, the way everything has been foreseen. And the more, the more, the greater of importance something is, the greater the challenge comes from the other side. So the Medrash tells us like this: that when when Yaakov Avinu came back from his from escaping to Lavan's house. And when he returned, after 20 years being away, he arrived to the city of Shechem. And when he comes to the city of Shechem, he buys, vayikan he buys the, the field by Shechem. And he pays what's called meya kasita, which is a, a, a large amount of money. So let me quote to you what the Medrash says. Um, Amir Reb Yudin, this is in, um, I don't even know. I, I, one day I want to find out. I keep on telling myself I'm going to find out. How do you call... I guess it's Ois. Ois Zion. It's not Pereg Zion. I guess it's Ois Zion. So it says like this. Omer Rabbi Yehuda Yudan bar So Rabbi Yudan, the son of Bar-Simon says, is. This is one of three places. This is one of three places. That the nations of the world cannot deceive the Jewish people. I guess Lohonos usually means to deceive. Lohonos can maybe also mean to uh, tease, to to challenge. A loymar, to say to the Jewish people, g'zulam hem that this is stolen land. Which place? The these are the three places. The cave of the Machpelah, Ma'arasa Samachpelah, the land, the city of Hebron. Beis Hamikdash, the Temple Mount, the Beis Migdash. and what's the third one? The Shchem Kufrasei Shal Yosef, the Caver of Yosef. Look at look at what's going on. What happened now? Just in the last few weeks, where is all the tension? Where, it's unbelievable. It's happening in front of our eyes. Mashiach is coming in front of our eyes. The tension, like like never before, it's in these three spots. Where you know they they try to burn burn down Yosef's Yosef's uh, cave, Yamach Shemam. They the the stabbings you know that happened in Hebron uh, so many times, and again and around the Temple Mount, Yerushalayim, which is the source of all the tension at this point. Um and it says, the Medrash says, <laughs> Avram paid money to buy that. And the Arabs don't have a claim to it because even though the Arabs see themselves as the children of Avram. Avram bought it not for himself. He bought the land for his wife Sarah. Sarah is not the mother of the Arabs. She's not the mother of Yishmael. Avram maybe could be claimed by other, by other nations as well. Avram fathered many children. Sarah mothered one child. And when Avram bought the field, he, the Machpelah, he bought it for Sarah. Once he bought it for Sarah already, already, the, already the whole mishpacha was buried over there. But she's the first one that, took, that through her, he took possession of the land, which means it was uniquely designated to the Jewish people. on HaMikdash, and by the Beis HaMikdash, it says that King David paid a heavy price. David King David, paid Arnon. Arnon was, Arnon ha'yavusi, I don't remember what it is. So he, he it says, it's interesting, and, and, and David Melach had actually already conquered that place, it was where he belonged. In other words, he had kind of possession of it through a conquest. And, but then he goes and he contacts the original owner, and he says, I want to purchase it from you. So he says, no, I'm going to give it to you as a gift. I'm ready to give it to you as a present. And King David says, no, I'm not going to take it as a present. I'm going to pay you what you're asking for it. So he pays him. And again, a lot of money he paid for the land. And the last one Yosef, And also the Kavar of Yosef. Yakov, bought Shem with the of Yosef. Money was paid. It's ours. It's eternally ours. It was never sold back. It is our land and it can't be contested. So um, uh, therefore, let's take a, a little bit of a of a better look at the depth and the strength of this acquisition. Um, I made copies of the Chumash, so we can, because we'll be referencing some of the Pesukim over here, and um, just which which illustrate how powerful and how deep our acquisition our acquisition is on Ma'aras on the on in Chevron. So um, let me open it over here. Let me just one second, yeah. So there is a, a look on the second page, I, the back pasuk um, page Ches Sheni, after it describes how Avram had approached the Chittite people, the Bnei Ches, and he asked them that if they can give him a place to bury his deceased, Sarah. So they um, say, well, you know what, we're going to let you bury Sarah in any one of our cemeteries, wherever you want to bury her. And Avram says, I want something in mind, a particular piece of land. And he points to them, he says, please ask by this man called, this fellow called Ephron. He owns this place, and I want to buy the cave in his field. He didn't ask for the whole field, he asked for the cave in the field. Ephron um, was, happened to have been, as Rashi says, appointed that day to be the mayor of the town. And God had orchestrated that because God did not want Avram Avinu to have to deal with a simple person. So Ephron was then, happened unbeknown to the city and to Ephron, why they appointed him. On that day, he was elected, but he was appointed to be the mayor. So Avram, and Avram says, "Speak to the mayor on my behalf." So they had a little negotiation. Ephron is trying to show how generous he is, and he wants to. He says, "For a man like you, Avram, you're a you're a prince of God." Avram was a very famous man. He was a general who won the war against the four kings. he was like everybody knew Avram, and he says, "It would be my honor to give it to you for 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 free. I'm giving it to you as a gift." And Avram says, "No, I'm going to buy it." In the end, he purchases the field and he pays 400 shekel kesa, which is an enormous amount of money. Okay. So after that it says, at the conclusion of that, so in Sheni, this is Pasach Zion, verse 17, it says, Vayakam stay Ephron. The field of Ephron was, uh, was um, got up. So, simply, it, we'll read it, it was established. Um, Asher be Machpelah, the field of Ephron, that's in the Machpelah, around the, the, the double cave. Ashadathnei Mamre, which is in the area of where Mamre, who was one of Avram's friends, lived. Hasada, the field, Vama'ara, and the cave, v'amara and the cave that was within it. Khala 8, and all the trees, all the surrounding trees, Ashabasada, that are in the field. Shabachol Gavulai, that everything in that entire property, everything within the boundaries of that field, Saviv all around, it was established for who? La Avraham For Avram, as an acquisition. And this was done publicly. Not, it wasn't done quietly that people can say, well, no one knows about it. It was a public transfer of ownership. In front of everybody that that uh, came into town, it was done in public, in town square. In front of everybody. And after that, So then Avram, after he acquired it, and it was fully his, then he buried Sarah his wife, El Stay on Machpelah, in the cave of Machpelah in the field of Machpelah, who in Eretz Kanan. And then it mentions again, the field got up, va'ma'ara and the cave Ashaboy that's in nitla of to Avram Machuzas for a cemetery for him from the chitais. Okay, that is the, the Psukim. Now Rashi makes an interesting comment. On the word, Vayakam, stay Ephron, uh, You don't have the Rashi, I didn't make a copy for it, and it's not that important that, uh, that you see the Rashi inside. Um, Rashi makes a comment. Rashi says, what does it mean vayakom? It stood up. Vayakam means to stand up. What does it mean a field stood up? So Rashi says, to The field had an elevation. The field was elevated. What does it mean it was elevated? Sheyatsam that miyad hediyot. It went out from the hand of a commoner, of a simpleton, liyad melech, and it went into the possession of a king. Avram Avinu was a king. Ephron is just a simple man. The the field now was elevated to royal status. It belongs to the king. Good. That's the meaning of vayakam. Then Rashi continues. And Rashi says, pshutei Mikra. But the simple interpretation of this pasuk, meaning if this is a little, it seems like what Rashi is saying that this interpretation, that Vayakam means it was elevated, is midrashic. Midrashic. On the simple level, as we interpret the Torah literally, it's hard to say it, that it went, that it was over here, vayakum means it was elevated, but rather, Vayakam means it was established meaning it, that it was to him to a purchase, which means the purchase was completed. That sort of means it's firmly established that it belongs to Avram, And that's the meaning of Vayakam. It got up, it's another way of saying the acquisition was complete. So Vayakam doesn't mean elevated, it means fully acquired. That's, that's his Rashi's second interpretation. Now we're going to tinker a little bit for a couple of moments with this Rashi, uh, just to get insight, because Rashi always opens up the doors for deeper understanding. Um, So don't get worried if it's a little technical for a couple of moments, it's okay. So the, the commentators have a hard time whenever Rashi gives two interpretations. Why does Rashi feel he has to interpret the Pasuk with two interpretations? There's always a reason why we need both purushim. Generally, Rashi always, as a general rule... Always sticks to simple literal interpretation as much as he can. When there is no choice and there is and, and there is a problem in the verse that cannot be understood on the literal, then Rashi brings in medrash. In our case, we need to understand why. What was wrong with just reading the literal? If vayakam can mean it was established, why do we have to? Why does Rashi have to give this 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 interpretation, which it seems to be medrashic, that it had it was elevated? It went from a simple person. To a, 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 to a king. So the Mefarshim on Rashi, so I'm going to present two, two explanations. The um, Re'em, is Mizrahi, says that with the simple interpretation, the problem is that usually when the Torah uses the term Vayakom to mean acquired, it usually tells you to who it was acquired. Like it says, um, uh, I'm giving. It's a pasuk in in in, in, in Leviticus in in, the, in Vayikra. The pasuk says, "V'kam um, hasada, uh, um, that the field that was sold should be given for forever and ever, say to the one who acquired it. So when it uses vayakam to mean an acquisition, it says to who? Over here, the pasuk just says it it vayakam it was acquired but it doesn't say to who Now, in the next verse it does say to who it says l'avraham le-mik. Now look inside in verse 17 yud zayin it just says Have stay, stay Ephron it says whose field it doesn't say to who however it says it was established the field of Evron that's in the Machpelah that's in front of Mamre the field and the cave that's in it and all the trees and all the boundaries saviv around, but it doesn't say to who. Now the following verse does say to who. But the reim, Rebel Ezrahi says the fact that it says it in a next pasuk, once the pasuk is already split, so in it it's 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 a little hard to say that it's a continuation. Because when you split a pasuk, means to some degree a once a pasuk already ends and it's a next pasuk, it's like Sema, like a, it's, it's, like a, it's not a new paragraph, but, but, but it's, 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 an, it's another sentence already. And since it's another sentence, it, it's, it's hard to continue it. Because this was Rashi's problem, with the simple interpretation. Because again, it doesn't say to who. Therefore, Rashi says, no, the word Vayakam, according to his first interpretation, means, and it was elevated. It, so it doesn't, it's, it's not about like to who. The fact that the field was elevated. And then we'll know, okay, it was elevated because it was sold. That that was its elevation, from a simple person to a king. That's his interpretation. The problem with his explanation is that um, oh, but, but then he goes on to say, so therefore, why does then Rashi bring the simple why does Rashi then explain it according to the simple meaning? So he says, but then Rashi says, shall make the simple explanation on the literal sense. On the literal sense, he says we don't have to be perturbed by it being a second pasuk. Because sometimes the Torah speaks that way, that it, it'll, it'll, it'll begin something in one verse and continue it in the next verse. So therefore on the literal level, we could read it to mean it was established. That's his explanation. The problem is that if on the literal level, if he himself says that on the literal level, it's not a problem when something is split in two psukim, that it should mean that it, you know, we should read it as one flow, so then why, does he, well, then why does he need the medrash? Then he doesn't need it. It's not necessary. Again, if the only reason it needed the Midrash was because it's a problem, because it doesn't say in that same verse, it seems not to be, um, 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 that that doesn't justify to, 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 especially since Rashi gives the first pirish as a Midrashic explanation, as being pirish number one, as being the first interpretation. It seems like there's a greater problem. So there's another interpretation by the Sifse Chachamim. The Sifse Chachamim says, if we're going to read it just on the literal level, that it means that it was established, how come the Torah has to, in this verse, tell us again who the field belonged to? We've been reading this in all the verses, on, on, in, the, in, the, in all, the, all the psukim leading up to here, maybe seven, eight verses, it discussed an entire dialogue between Avram and Ephron. That Avram was dealing with the Chittite people and Ephron, and he bought from him and he paid the money to him. The whole thing is discussed already, so we know whose field is it. So if at all it means it was established to Avram, it should have just said VaYakom Hasadeh VaHama'ara and the cave that's in it and all the trees That's all it should say. Why does it have to say VaYakom today Ephron? The fact that it's emphasizing that it's Ephron, we know whose field it is. It's a sign the Torah wants to tell you something about it once belonging to Ephron, and now it's belonging to Avram. What's that? That's an elevation. The field was elevated. But the Sif Seich says, we can't read that that's all that it means, that it means only that. It also has to mean something else. Because if it would only mean that it was elevated, then how come the Pasuk repeats twice Vayakam Sede Ephron, the field of Ephron, and then it says Hasade the field Vahma'orah and the cave Ashabo. It says twice. Well, if it means it was elevated, good, it was it was elevated once. What's the idea that the field and the cave is repeated twice? From here Rashi derived, you see, according to the Sif Sechakamim, that it's not the Rashi is not giving us two Purushim, two different meanings. Rashi says both these interpretations are are supposed to be read in the pasuk. The pasuk means both. It means it was elevated, and it means it was, and it means it was established. The acquisition was complete. It means two things. It has a dual meaning. Now that's why the pasuk repeats twice. and it says it's who it belonged to. That means it was elevated. Then when the pasuk says Hasade the field, vama'ara and the cave, and all of this, that part of the pasuk we have to read. That flows into the next verse. It was established, so it means two things, Vayakam. that's his explanation. Again, it's difficult, it's difficult to say that. We're, 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 because it's that. Because again, Rashi, if anything, should have first said the simple meaning, that Vayakam means established, and then giving us a midrashic explanation, even according to him, that, that should come later. Therefore, here's, a, here's, a, here's a, 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 another look at this from the Lubavitch Rebbe, which is a very brilliant explanation on this Rashi. And he says, with a very powerful lesson, and very pertinent to the time that we're in right now. And here is the idea. You see, Rashi never says that this is medrash. In the first interpretation, Rashi doesn't say that this is medrash. The only reason why we deduce or we are, we are inclined to say that his first interpretation is not on the literal. Is because Rashi says a Mikra. That this, in the second interpretation, he says, and on a literal level, this is what it means. The literal level interpretation, so that makes you think that the first Pirish is Medrish. He says, if it would really be Medrish, Rashi should say, but now truth is it does say it so in the Medrish. But Rashi's not quoting it from the Medris. Rashi sees it on the, the in the literal pasuk, Rashi sees it must mean it was elevated. You see that in the literal sense. If so, why does he mention a shall mikra? Because the 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 um, that which that which um, forces us to change to, to to read the word vayakam to mean it was elevated is not from the actual translation of the word vayakam but from the, meaning that there is a general problem in the whole story that is that calls for a, a a a a that calls for an interpretation that's not that 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 that, that sounds more medrashic, but it's not medrashic. the reason why he says, if you're learning only this pasuk, these two psukim, then the word vayakam can mean it was established. But if you read the general parsha, the general parsha, the whole subject, that on the literal sense it makes sense to say that the field was elevated. Why? Because by, by, but, but by understanding what the depth of this means that it was elevated. But first, let's see what was, what was wrong with the story. What is problematic? So there's two, two major problems in, in the general story. Okay, so follow along over here. When the Torah tells us um, that Avram wants to buy the field, initially it says that Avram asks for the cave. Say, Give me the cave. I'll read it over here. You'll see it. Uh, Pasuk Dalid on the first page I gave you. Um I'm a I'm over here. I'm a I'm a newcomer and I'm a settler in the land. kever. Give me a portion for a for a cemetery uh, in Machem with you. I will I will bury my dead. Molfani. Okay. I will bury the, my family member that needs to be buried. Okay. So. Um, He doesn't ask for the field There's no mention in the field Then they tell him um, Anywhere you can bury Anywhere So he says Go ask Ephron Um, And then he says Clearly All I want Look look at verse number 10 I'm sorry Verse 9 Tess All I want is The cave of the Machpelah that is at the end of his field. At the edge of his field. Okay, and he mentions, I'm going to pay full price for it. That's what he's asking for. Ephron answers, and that's in verse Yud Aleph, Pasuk Yud Aleph, verse 11. No, my master, listen to me. I'm giving you the whole field. Ephron offers that he's willing to give him the entire field as a gift not only the cave, he's giving him everything the field and then Avram and then buys the field the question is why does, if Avram only wanted the cave why did Avram then in the end buy the entire field? he's asking, he made an offer to purchase the cave why is he selling him, why is he... now, and we, so Ephraim we can explain because Ephron uh, you know is, is figuring um, he can first of all he wants to look like a he must to, to make himself look like a you know a big uh, a, a good guy he's trying to as we see in the end that Ephron was a, was a sly fellow first he says i'm going to give it to you for free but when Abram tells him that I'm willing, i want to pay for it he charges him a crazy price so we can see that Ephron is saying no nah, you take the whole field that's number, so why, why that's why Ephron is offering it or Ephron has a chance to make some extra money. He sees that Avram is desperate. He's going to pay no matter how much, whatever he's going to ask for him. So he might as well sell the whole field as well and get and get and 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 this will be this will be a, a good a good a good a good sale for him. So we can understand on Ephron's part why Ephron is trying to sell him more. But if Avram only needs the cave, so why doesn't Avram why why does Avram go along with this? So the some mafreshim answer this. Nachmanides says that the Ephron is kind of teasing Avram, not teasing him, he's saying it's not fitting for a man like you to have your pro- family buried in a field that doesn't belong to you. It should be within your property. Therefore, you should. And Avram thinks, wonderful, if you want to sell me the whole field, all I needed was a little piece of land, but if you want to sell me the whole field, let's go with it. So Avram was actually happy, so he went along with it. Rashi, however, doesn't make any mention of this. So we need to really understand what changed over here that Avram is now suddenly, Ephron offers the field, Avram takes it, seems to be without any argument, and he pays the money not only for the Machpelah but also for the whole field. Another thing we need to notice, and that is going back to the second page that we read, the last Psukim. In Yud Zion, on verse number 17, right after Shani, it says, Ephron, that the field of Ephron. Or was Machpelah that is in the Machpelah was now given to Avram, and then in Pasik Chav it says again, the field and the cave that's in it was given, was established or got whatever you're going to say. vayaka means it was elevated, Kever. So why the repetition? I mean, even if you, even if we say that the Pasik wants to say it was. Uh, whatever, it was established. Why twice established? It said it already. Vayakum, it the, the, the purchase was completed. What does it mean when it says two times Vayakum? So the are commentators, the Arachayim has a very interesting explanation on it. He says just halachically, he gives a halachic explanation. He says that when a Jew and a non Jew engage in a business transaction, The laws are different when when a Jew is buying from a Jew. When a a Jew and a non-Jew have a a business, a a sale, the acquisition takes place through the transfer of money. By us, when when a sale is being between a Jew and another Jew, you have to do some kind of a physical take hold of the land if you're giving real estate. You have to show ownership on the land. Uh, Just giving money doesn't yet finalize the deal. But with a non-Jew, the law is kesef koneh. Just the transfer of money is the acquisition. Okay? Um, no, is enough, but here's what he says. In the case of, 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 um, of Avram, it's enough that he- he- Ephron lost, he ceased to be the owner. But Avram does not become the full owner until he does, because Avram has to go by the laws of the Jewish law. In the Gentile laws applying to Gentile transfer of money is the the full the full the full uh, is a sale. But in Jewish law he has to do some kind of a chazakah. So therefore it's like this when Ephron got the money, he relinquished the field that doesn't belong to him anymore. But when Avram now buried Sarah, as the Pasik says, so when Avram now digs a grave and he buries Sarah in the land. Then he is doing an act of acquisition in the land. So now he's now it's not only not Ephron's anymore, it becomes his. It's fully his. That's why the Pasik repeats two times vayakam. First vayakam, the first time vayakam is that Ephron relinquishes his ownership. The second vayakam is after Avram acquired it, now Avram takes full possession. That's his explanation. But here we're going to have by but in Rashi's explanation which Rashi does not there's no mention of all this of all this in Rashi so we can say something just a very simple idea which Rashi is alluding to when Rashi says that Avram that, it's, that the field was elevated because it went out from the hands of a simple person from the hands of a commoner and it went into the hands of a king. What does that mean? And the idea is as follows. When two people when, when, a in a buyer and a seller um, are, or and, uh, simply, when someone sells something to someone else, so even though there is a transfer of ownership, where this real estate, the house, um, the object, the car uh, is now has a new owner now, but it doesn't erase the history. What does it mean? it means that Jack's house is now Michael's. So when Michael lives in the house, people walk by and they say, oh, I remember when Jack still lived in this place. And now it's Michael's house. It's Mike's house. It used to be Jack's house. Now it's Mike's house. So it went over from... It but once belonged to him, and now it belongs to him. So there is still, a, there is still some kind of a connection to the previous owner. When a king purchases something, it's a whole different story. When you're dealing with royal property, no one is going to say that the ma- his majesty lives or this, this building is someone's building. A king's acquisition is so powerful on, on the land that it uproots the history of it ever belonging to anybody else. And the reason for that is, the reason for that power is because really the, the whole entire land belongs to the king. This that people have ownership in their land. Okay, we don't have that kind of a system today because we don't have enough uh, a a, uh, a monarchy. We don't have that kind of a, of a government. But in a time when there were kings, when a king the king owned the country to the point that Rambam says that a king can go and take away anybody's land if he needs it for governing purposes. He can come and take away. I mean, he has to compensate the person that he's taking it away from, but really he can. Force whoever it is, if he needs to build a road or if it's needed for a purpose, he can uproot whoever it is because the land really belongs to the king. So when people, when people live in the land, it's really just a usage. it's really belonging to the king, but you can kind of it's an eternal lease kind of. You can, use, you can have it, I'm allowing you to use it. But for whatever reason when the king decides that he wants to purchase it back, it's, being that in essence, the entire land belongs to the king, so, its acquisition is so strong and so powerful that when the king takes it, it's not Jack's house anymore. It never was Jack's house. It has it, 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 it becomes so thoroughly his that the past, the past ownership of whoever it was that owned it is deleted, poof, as if it never was there. That's the, that's the ownership of a king. And we see that in the story of Avram, that when Avram is purchasing this land, Avram is very, very making every effort. He doesn't spare any effort to try to disassociate the land from its previous owner. And you see that in the story. What do you see? You see initially, um, first of all, the fact that Avram pays the full price. Ephraim wants to give it to him for free. Avram says no, but Avram is not even asking for a discount. He's saying, because of Mullah, I'm going to pay the full amount. The reason for that is because bichlal in general, in every acquisition, in every kinyan, whenever there's a, a acquisition, the acquisition is accomplished through both parties, the seller and the buyer. Meaning not only, is, we're talking about earlier that it once belonged to the seller, now it belongs to the buyer, and even after it belongs to the buyer, it still has a name that it was Yankel's house that now belongs to Moshe. It's this person... It has, a, it has a history of belonging to someone else. But there's something else. The actual transfer of property, the logistics, is accomplished by, a, by both of them together. It's a joint effect. It's I'm buying and you're selling. The reason why it's becoming mine is because you're putting in your force of, of tr- transmitting this property into my, into my riches. And here's interesting. That the degree of how much the seller's fingerprints are still in it, while in the act of in the transaction, depends on what kind of transaction you're doing. For instance, if I am taking possession of real estate through a manner called chazaka, chazaka means that we decide on a price, and then you give me the keys, and I go to the property, I open up. I open, I walk into the house, and usually Khazaka requires that I make some kind of a change. I call a locksmith to change the lock. Or I go and I make some kind of a repair, some kind of a some kind of a what do you call it um, renovation. If I do some kind of a renovation, I'm the owner now. Okay. That kind of a a, a, a acquisition, of course, has very little bit of the fingerprints of the seller because it's becoming the buyers through the activities and through the actions of the buyer. Of course, it has to be with the consent of the seller. But the buyer is the one that's making the acquisition. He's taking it. However, there's another way where you can buy something. When someone writes a shtar. A shtar is is when the seller writes a deed, writes a, a document, in which that document says, I am a hereby. And when he gives over the document... That causes the transfer of property. Well, that kind of transfer has a lot of the seller inside of it. Because the seller is the one, it has less buyer. Again, there's no, in the actual ownership in the end, I own it, you don't own it. The, the, The buyer owns it 100%. The seller doesn't own it anymore. The question is, the actual transfer, how much can you take credit for it? How much is the seller involved in that? Well, depends on which way they're doing it. If he does it through an acquisition of chazakah, then it's the buyer who's really taking possession of it. If it's done through a deed, through a, through a contract, the contract, which is written by the seller, is so he has more of a participation in that, in that transfer of property. That is, so in every sale, there's like kind of both of them there. The question is how much? 90? What's the ratio of that relationship? When you're giving money, of course, there are two So, when you could, so if I'm giving you money And I'm not paying full, full price But you're giving it to me as a discount Or sometimes you can actually acquire a, a thing by putting a deposit And deposit can be a little bit of money If I put down, if I'm buying a car for a thousand dollars And I put down a hundred dollars And you accepted it and as a sale And you'll say, you know what, you'll pay me the rest in 30 days Then the sale is done But why? Because the seller, it called had gamar das. He had finalized in his mind that he's giving it over. So again, so what does that, that tell you? If I'm not paying the full price immediately, so I require your participation in that, that you should give it to me. But if I pay you the full price, not only am I paying you full price, I'm paying you like, Almost like more than you expected. I'm giving you that like, there's nothing. You're not lacking anything. You like made it. It was like it was. This was a a. You really did well in this sale. You could not have. You've gotten your initial. And every time people sell a house, you know, for them, if they hope, if they can get their asking price. Sometimes they're lucky that someone comes and makes an offer even more than they were dreaming. When at that point, it's so much the the it's it is so strongly associated with the buyer that the seller is removed from it completely. Because the acquisition doesn't require them at all. Because I I replaced everything that belongs to you. That's why you see that David HaMelech, when it came to the land of Moriah, which is the place of the Beis Amigdash, David HaMelech insisted, I'm not going to take it as a present. I'm not even going to take it at a discounted price. I'm going to pay you full price. Why? Because I don't want you to have a portion in the Mizbeach and in the and, the and that are going up. This belongs to the Jewish people. doesn't mean a Gentile can come and bring a Korban, but to have an integral, to have some kind of an ownership, I don't want that. This is fully mine. I'm paying you off completely and leave. The same is with Avram and Ephron. Avram wanted Ephron out of the whole thing. I'm paying you the full price. You're not involved at all. Now to make it even stronger, Rashi says, and that's what we're saying now, not only is the actual transaction not involving Ephron, it's as if he's, it's, Avram is doing the whole thing, even more than that, you can't even see it as it once belonged to Ephron. Why? Because Rashi, that's what the pasuk is saying, Vayakam, it stood up, it was elevated, it means it went into the, it, it's a king purchasing it. And when a king purchases something, it's, it loses the identity of ever belonging to anybody else because the king's power of ownership is so strong, it's so powerful that it is. And this is all you see. You see the king's property. That's all that's there. This will also explain, as we mentioned earlier, why the dialogue of why Avram suddenly Ephraim offers the field and Avram is so willing to accept the field Without any, he never, he, didn't, he never, he never offered to buy the field. Why is he buying the field? And the idea is like this: You see in the dialogue that there was a, there was, there was a, there was um, opposition, or rather, we should say there was resistance on the part of the Hittites who owned that land, from allowing, from from, 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 from relinquishing that piece of land. Again, how much they were conscious of why they didn't want to relinquish it? You know, Adam and Eve were buried over there. They didn't know that they were buried there. Okay. But they had some reason they didn't want. How do you see that? Because even though it seems like they're so happy to deal with Avram, Avram comes to them and Avram says, I want to take this land la achuzas kever. What does it mean, achuzas kever? Achuzas kever means, I want this entire land to be my inheritance for a cemetery. Which means Avram is not asking them to sell him a plot. It's not like Avram is coming to their cemetery and he says, I need, I need a plot. Or you know what, I need a, cl- a couple of plots. Because if Avram is going to come and... Because that would mean that even after Sarah is buried over there, it's the Chittite cemetery with a little Jewish quarter with a couple of um, 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 lands, a couple of uh, Kvarim that belong to Avram. You see, they answered him, no, they said to Avram, wherever you want, any cemetery you want to bury your wife, Sarah will open it up, will give you any part you want. They don't mention Achuzah's Kever. They don't want it to be... See, Avram is emphasizing, and what's the, what's the emphasis in Achuzas kever? Achuzah's kever means even more than that. Not that I'm, you have a cemetery established in, you know, in, 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 in 1867, this cemetery. And now I'm coming and buying off a piece of land that was once your cemetery and now it's my cemetery. Avram is saying there is a field, there is a field. In the corner of the field there is a machpelah. Marisa machpelah. I want you to sell me the cave, and I'm going to establish it, after it's mine, I'm going to establish it as a cemetery, as the quintessential cemetery for the Jewish people. In other words, what Avram is saying is, first it's mine. You don't have any part in this, this is our ancient cemetery, and now, especially since it was a cemetery before, but Avram is saying, I am turning it into a chuzas kever. That's the idea. So Avram repeats that again, when he speaks to Ephraim, when Ephraim answers him, I'm giving you the entire field, which is a miracle that uh, Ephron concedes, but not only that, Ephraim makes it much better for Avram. Because Avram is saying to Avram, I'm giving you the whole field. So now it's interesting, at this point, Avram doesn't say, great, I'm going to take it la chuzas kever, because for for he doesn't have to mention those words chuzas kever now, because once he's selling in the entire field, so it's his field. What he does afterwards, that he creates it in the cemetery, is for sure his, it's his business, it's his thing. It's not like he's taking over a cemetery that's it, because he bought the entire field. And that's the idea. Avram, the fact that Ephraim offers the field and Avram, this is actually playing in very well into Avram's desire. He wants to have a place that has no connection whatsoever. Why? Why is Avram so insistent? Let's go back to the beginning of the class. Avram knows how much the world is going to fight against this place belonging to the Jewish people. So he wants to do whatever he can to uproot the claim so thoroughly that there shouldn't be even the tiniest little thread connecting the, the original, you might say, owners of the land to have any whatsoever claim. So when Ephraim offers him the field, all the better for Avram. Why? Now I have the field, it's completely mine. And Avram on his own initiates a cemetery in that field, which is the Ma'ara completely disconnected from what was before this is the emphasis of the pasuk Vayakom ephron the field had an elevation right, so this this if we translate it, i mean this verse over here crystallizes the entire parasha that avram is taking it to elevate it outside away from 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 from, from the ordinary ownership of people because really the question I, I forgot to mention something Rashi says that it's coming out of the hands of a, of a simple person to a king how can you say about Ephron that he's a simple person he said earlier that Ephron was the mayor was appointed as the mayor how do you call him a simple person but the emphasis over here is it's the king purchasing when the king purchases land it really doesn't make a difference if it belonged to the mayor if it belonged to the governor if it belonged to the, to the, uh, whoever, the, to the councilman, it, it make a difference. If it belonged to a nobleman, it makes no difference because the king's level of ownership over things is so powerful and so strong that, it's, that it's negate, it negates any kind of ownership and everybody to the king is considered to be a hediyot. There's no hierarchy. Or him, in regards to, especially in regards to the ownership of the land that he's taking it now, it's all equal. So that is highlighted in this process. Now we'll understand also why it mentions two times Vayakam. Vayakam once, and Vayakam a second time. Because we understand that even after they have this transaction, and Avram acquires the field, and his acquisition is an acquisition of a king, we understand that there's a difference in terms of his ownership over that land before he does anything and after. for example, if, if I buy a house or I buy a buyer and and um, I, I leave it i don't 'm not moving into it it 's sitting there exactly. the place is laying exactly as it was the day it was sold, so even though everybody knows technically because they saw a sign, it was an escrow and now, you know, so you know the house is sold, but everything looks the same if bulldozers come around and you see they're knocking and they're making and they're doing, it is the, 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 the uh, ownership is solidified. No one is going to argue, no one is going to question. Even though technically in terms of real estate law, I mean it's yours the moment it was signed and in, in, in the documents were signed, it was established, the sale is a sale. But in terms of the sense of who owns this place, when the person goes down, he knocks down the old house and he builds his thing. or Whatever he does, he, 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 makes, he starts doing something in that place. It changes the dynamics of the place. So this is what happened with Avram. Stage number one is as soon as he sells it, especially since he paid full price for it. And who is selling to who? A king is buying from a simpleton. So it uproots it completely. It's, it's elevated. That's elevation number one. Elevation number two, when Avram actually goes and he takes Sarah, and he buries her in that field, and as we said before, Sarah is the mother of the Jewish people, and not the mother of the Arabs. She is designated only for the Jewish people. So now, the the elevation of it becoming Avrams, its elevation as Avrams properly, is even pronounced to a much greater in a much stronger way than it was before. And that's the second Vayakam asada, And that's after the burial of sada. So you have two stages on how elevated, and as a result of this elevation, how disconnected and deleted, so to speak, the previous owners are. As if they never were there, without any claim whatsoever to that land. This is a very, very, very powerful lesson. In twofold one in regards to Eretz Yisrael, which we're going to leave in a moment, but also in regards to our lives, in which you know the acquisition of Eretz Yisrael really is meant to be an empowerment for the Jewish people to conquer and elevate all of the world and to make it into a holy land. Because our job really is, as it says in the sages say, that eventually, eventually, after Mashiach comes, I don't know if immediately, but that the entire world will become Eretz Yisrael. Meaning, will be elevated to the status of holiness. How is that done? It's through our work. We live in the diaspora, wherever we live in the various different countries in the world. By our living in the neighborhoods we live, especially when we construct a Jewish and establish a Jewish establishment, whether it is a shul, whether it is a school, whether it is a mikveh, whether it is a kosher establishment, a restaurant of food, anything connected to. Judaism, which means holiness, connected to Torah and mitzvahs, to some... What does that do? That's conquering the physical world for God, making it holy. Sometimes we acquire... We, sometimes in the process of doing that, we encounter resistance. We encounter problems. And a lot of times it's like you wonder, like you're trying to do something good, I remember when I was trying to open up this center, I was looking for a place for, for three years. Three years. And every, uh, uh, we were going from place, looking for a, for a, for a, for a, we're, you know, we, have to, we had an idea what I want the place to look like. So I was going, to, and find, whenever I found something to rent, it always fell through. And I remember what was making me nuts. I was thinking on the street, I was walking, and this was the thought. I was thinking to myself, every nail salon has a place. Every tarot card reader, what whatever, the psyche, has a place! And I'm trying to teach Hasidus, and, 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 and I, everything is falling through. Why the resistance? But that's the way it is. When you try to do something holy, you have a hard time. So when someone wants to buy a property to make a shul, then you'll get start problems with zoning laws and this opposition. I'm not saying we have to follow along. We can't, people can just do whatever they want. Certain places are zoned for it. And when we have to respect the environment and what is required. But sometimes we come across resistance that is, is just a clipper, meaning there's nothing else over there but something trying to stop Kedusha from taking possession of a place. And I'm talking about more communal things, but it's also in our private lives. Whatever it is that when you you and your life have a certain place that you need to influence and you need to have an effect on making that, connecting that to Kedusha, connecting that to holiness, there's a resistance. So we need to know like this. We find by Ma'aras Sameach is the first place that a Jew is acquiring, the first piece of real estate in the world that is going to become holy land. It's going to belong to a Jew, and, via, via, and, and through that, belong to the Jewish people, and be a home for God. That's the first piece of land. We find that even before Aramavinu Avinu buries Sarah, which means he uses it for the intended purpose, just the fact that he has an association with it, it comes into his domain, that itself picks up the place from being ordinary space to becoming sacred space. So even though, sometimes it feels the opposite, but maybe that's the reason why it feels the opposite. The reason why we encounter resistance is because it changed. The moment you put your foot down in that place, and you said, this is it, here is, and and the place gets a connection to you, as a Jew, since a Jew, and why? Because Jews are called b'nai malachim. We're not conquering this world for ourselves. This is to establish God's kingdom in the world. So therefore Yiddin are called princes. And in many ways, not only princes, but kings themselves. And therefore, we we are of royal stock. And therefore, when a Jew is acquiring something for Judaism, for the sake of Torah and mitzvahs, the mere connection from you to that place is already an elevation. The place is elevated. It went out from its mundanity, and it became sacred space. Now, of course, the word, that, what does that do? That gives you a great empowerment. The, the, next word, the next work is going to be to actually implement it. To actually implement it and to bring it to its full realization for what it needs to be. But that's going to be stage number two. The first involvement is already ours. That, is, that applies, and therefore it has to give us a certain strength and an understanding. That's the way it is. A yid has to recognize the power that a Jew. You're a descendant of Avram, and the first thing that Avram purchased, he purchases it like the king. I mean, let's put it this way: I'm just—it's occurring to me right now. When the government does business, when they're buying things, land, stuff like that, eh, there's different rules. There's a certain muscle that they have that other people don't have, because it's the state, because it's the city, because it's the government if you want you can fight him too you know try <laughs> like you say go fight city hall when a jew is buying something or relating taking something in this world for hashem you're not acting based on yourself you have somebody behind you you have the king Melech mauche you're acting as his agent as you're walking in to negotiate you're negotiating on behalf of the super government this is this is the kingdom this is hashem himself so you're it's, it's royal status It changes the game completely. It's it's a whole different thing. In addition to that, particularly when it comes to the land of Israel, um, and today's days, when we have so much opposition. So, first of all, in our own minds, there has to be clarity and understanding. Eretz Yisrael is a Jewish land. People say giving back land. Question, should we give back? There's no thing as giving back. It never belonged to anybody else. The land of Israel belongs to the Jewish people. The fact that we were exiled 2,000 years ago does not change one iota the status of the land. It is ours. It, it, it is ours. It always was ours. Now, as much as that is true about all of Eretz Yisrael, these particular three places that we mentioned before, Hebron, Shechem, and the Temple Mount, is, has, in addition to the, what Rashi says... That the whole world God created, and God gives it to whoever He wants, he has even from the from a perspective of just pure legal law, take out the religious sub aspect of it. The fact that Avram, David, Amalech, Yaakov Avinu paid full price for that land makes that land ours. And it's interesting. The reason why the Mepharshim say, the reason why the Medrash speaks about these particular places is because these particular places are connected in, an, in a specific manner to the Jewish people even during the time of exile. The Beis Amingdash we know is holy even now. The fact that there is a mosque on the Beis Amingdash, the fact that Rabbi Akiva saw a fox um, roaming on the top of the holy place and the, the, stu- and the, and the colleagues of Rabbi Akiva were crying... At the horrific desecra- desecration of the land, does not change the holiness of the place, as it says. Rambam says the holiness of the Beis Hamikdash is because of the Shechina and Shechina enoi Betela. God, the divine presence, doesn't cannot. It's eternal, does not become nullified. That's why we know, even the most literal sense, that the Western Wall, the Kaisel Hamaravi, has a holiness throughout history. Shechina the, the never departed from the Kaisel Hamaravi. The place is holy. They made an attempt just two, three weeks ago to claim that the western wall is also something that the Jewish people don't have a claim to. So we know that that the, the, the Kosel and the and Harabayas is, is a place of holiness, and our prayers ascend over there through and it says, and the same is also true about Mar Samach Pela. It says all the prayers of the Jewish people. I don't know how you reconcile, but I think it says clearly about the Ma'arasa HaSamach that all the prayers of the Jewish people go through the Ma'arasa HaSamach the cave of the, of the patriarchs. So that's... In other words, there is a holiness to that land throughout the exile as well. And the same applies uh, to Yosef HaTzadik's grave. These are three places that empower the Jewish people during the time of exile. It is always ours. And what it does is the fact that these three places were given such our possession, our taking hold of it was so strong and in such a clear, indisputable way, is what really refutes the argument of the world against any part of Eretz Yisrael. Because you see that 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 the opposition that is that is being opposed is to places where there is where there, is no le- there isn't even a possibility of a legitimate claim. Although elsewhere, okay, we're going to have to go into a, some kind of the- a theological argument and faith and belief that God created the world and God decided, and, and, the, and, the, and the truth of the Torah, that God gives the, gives the Jewish people the land. Okay, so there is room for some kind of an argument. But in the story of in these three places, the land was purchased... There is an a a ownership that cannot be contested, and that empowers the Jewish people to have ownership on the entire Eretz Yisrael, and that chas v'shalom, even one inch, will not go back to outside of our ownership. um, Even if there is a moment or two left for the coming of Mashiach, there shouldn't be chas any retreat. From any one inch of the land of Eretz Yisrael, the entire land, from border to border, as the pasuk says, miyamal, the entire land belongs to the an eternal um, an eternal inheritance Am olam to an eternal to an eternal people forever and ever and ever, in a way which has the covenant of God, and it has the full legitimacy without any chas any kind of any kind of challenge whatsoever. And let this be clear in our own minds, and when we understand this and study this, this will become an acknowledged truth and a recognition. As much as the klipa tries to distort and to fight this MS, MS will prevail. And as as we said earlier, even though it seems like we we, we imagine, we, we wonder and we say, how? How? When we find so much opposition, how will this be? We know for certain that the truth will prevail because kiyamanu keo, because we have MS, and we have God with us, which is the MS and the full MS. So may we merit to see the kalipa dissipate and become disappear completely and truth be loudly heard throughout the entire world that... Eretz Yisroel belongs to the Jewish people forever and ever. We will see that Beezus Hashem, Mamish take a miyad in the coming of Mashiach. <laughs> we